Yeah, do you really mean thanks be to God for that scripture? Do you, do you really, are you really thankful for that scripture? Um, this is another in our series on generosity. Generosity and God's grace, generosity and relationships, generosity and hospitality, generosity and ministry, and this generosity and wealth. The text points out, and we know this, that generosity and wealth can be very complicated. On the one hand, giving wealth, giving money, can be the easiest way to deal with someone and dismiss them. It can be the easiest way to get rid of somebody. Here's $20, now leave. $20, I don't want to see you for six more months. Here's $15, and don't ask me again. We've given, but are we generous? Sometimes giving can be a way of terminating the relationship, but a way of not being hospitable, not being open-hearted. Giving can also be detrimental. We might give as a short-term fix when what is needed is a long-term solution that takes not so much money, but hospitality and open hearts and time and relationship. On the other hand, sharing wealth may come from an open heart, a grateful heart. It can be sacrificial. It can be giving to something that we love a great deal. It can be generous, coming from the center of our being. At least a couple of our members at this spring, when we received stimulus checks, gave their stimulus check to the church. I asked them why they did that. And they said, it's because we're grateful for all that the church has done for us. And we just want to show our thankfulness. It's kind of the widow's might, isn't it? Now, in the midst of all this wealth, I want to talk about the rummage sale. Every rummage sale, I'll go up to my closet and look in my closet. I'll look in my chest of drawers. I'll see the shirts. I'll see the ties. I'll see the t-shirts, the socks, the sweaters, the pants. And I'll think, man, am I rich in stuff? Do I really need all this stuff? How long has it been since I wore these pants? How long has it been since I wore this tie? And I'll look at this and stare at it. And I have this attachment to almost everything I have in my closet. I can make an argument for affection, and I can make an argument not to get rid of this thing. Now, when I do, I never miss it. But I make an argument to hold on to stuff. Last October for the rummage sale, I went through this ritual, 
and I couldn't find a thing I wanted to part with. Not one thing. And in fact, when I went down to talk to the, to the people who were working at the rummage sale the week before, I saw a sweater and a tie that I really liked. So not only did I not give away anything, I accumulated more. Now, I'm wearing the tie today. It's a Michael Coors tie. Who could pass it up? Yeah. It's hard to part with stuff. How hard it is for those with wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a person with wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now, you've probably heard about this camel and the eye of the needle. Some scholars think the eye of the needle was the name of a gate in Jerusalem, a, a narrow gate and a low gate. That if a camel was going to go through it, you had to take all the baggage off the camel so that it could get through this narrow and low gate. You had to take all the baggage off. Other people think Jesus isn't talking about the gate in Jerusalem. Other people just think he's talking about a very large animal, a camel, and a very small object, the eye of a needle. And you can't get a camel through the eye of a needle. Doesn't this passage make us squirm? I mean, it makes me uncomfortable. And I ask, am I wealthy? Well, often how we hear a passage of Scripture depends who we're sitting next to when we hear it. Now, if I hear this passage about a camel going through the eye of a needle and Jeff Bezos is sitting next to me, I can say, this does not apply to me. On the other hand, if the person sitting next to me has just told me how grateful they are to get a mattress because they haven't had a mattress for over a year. I feel wealthy. And the fact is, if we have a house and a car, we're in the upper 2% of the world's wealth. You know, this election, wealth is one of the focuses of this election. Are we better off now than we were? Yeah. It's the economy, stupid. In this passage, talking to this man, Jesus seems to see wealth as a burden for him. It's a barrier in his life. Jesus talks to other people, Nicodemus for one, who has great wealth, and doesn't bring up wealth. But he does with this man. Now there's no evidence that this rich young ruler didn't get his money in any way other than honesty. There's no evidence of criminal behavior. 
But Jesus seems to think he's wrestling with the non-economic uses of money. Money can be a source of his identity. He has, therefore, he is. It's what gives, it's what gives, gives him a sense of who he is. I have. It can be a source of superiority. I have more. Therefore, I am more. Now, we can, of course, say this works the other way. I have less, so I am less. I don't have, so I am not. But for this man, his wealth is a sense of security. It's a sense of self-sufficiency. I don't need my neighbor. I don't need God. I can do it all on my own. I'm not dependent. I'm free. It can be a source of leverage, of power. Money talks. It can be seen as a source of morality. It can be a sense, a source of intelligence. He must be smart, he's rich. If he is finding his source of identity, his source of security, his source of self-sufficiency, his source of morality and leverage in his wealth, He's probably very fearful of giving up his wealth, of losing his wealth. His goal is to protect it. His goal is to be defensive. His goal is to put up walls and barriers that protect it and frankly separate him from others and God. His wealth is not a way of building bridges. It's a way of digging chasms to keep people out. Wealth has the power to control people's lives. It has the power to possess them. It can move from being a possession to being a source of being possessed. It can be an obsession with never having enough. And in this story, Jesus contrasts the burden of this man's wealth with the kingdom of God. How hard it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. If wealth has made his soul self-sufficient and superior, and defensive and fearful how can he enter the kingdom of God his values are different if he's defined by wealth 
or if he's defined by God. The kingdom of God's values are a generous heart, a generous spirit, sharing and hospitality, being God-centered and neighbor-centered and being part of a community and being in relationships and seeing people as, as equal and not building bridges, not building barriers, but building bridges. The man asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Inherit, what must I do to inherit this wealth? He sees eternal life as just another thing to acquire. He's used to getting and taking, not receiving and giving. And Jesus says to him, basically, you're not going to get where you want to be with this mindset. You know, Gwen talked about going on a trip. And Jesus is basically saying to him, you're on a journey to the kingdom of God. Be aware of what you need to take with you. Because you might not get there if you take the wrong stuff. You won't realize it when you take the wrong stuff. So Jesus frames his answer in terms of rethinking this man's world. Rethinking where he wants to go and what he needs to take. And transforming his life and reorienting his values. Jesus is basically saying, what are you packing? If you're going to the kingdom of God, Rethink this. Be defined by God. Be defined by the awareness that you're in a community. Be aware that you need God. One of the disciples asked Jesus, you know, who can be saved? Who can be saved? And, and Jesus basically says, it's nothing you do that's going to save you. It's your need of God and you're letting God provide your sufficiencies that will save you. Jesus answers each person differently. For some people, the baggage they're carrying are, is vengeance. For others, the baggage they're carrying are grudges. For others, the baggage they're carrying is superiority. For this man, it's his wealth that's separating him from God. Now Luke says the man goes away sad. And I have to admit, when I read this passage, I wrestle with it, and I do squirm. And I tend to go away sad. Jesus has answered the question and I'm not comfortable with the question. In this story, there are two rich young rulers. I've talked a lot about the first one. The second rich young ruler is Jesus. He has a different set of values. 
Jesus is wealthy in God's love. Jesus is wealthy in hospitality. Jesus is wealthy in ministry. Jesus is wealthy in relationships. Jesus is wealthy in forgiveness. For Jesus, wealth is a means of sharing God's love. For Jesus, wealth is a means of building bridges. Wealth is a means of showing love. There are two rich young rulers in this passage. Which one do I want to follow? Which one do I want to be like? Lord, what are you trying to do through me? The answer is, what God is trying to do through me is unburden me so that I can be free and Christ-like in sharing the wealth that I have. That I can be generous with my time, with my hospitality, with my relationships, and with my wealth. May it be so. Amen.